And old John Maxwell defines leadership as influence. I agree with him, but I think he needs to add some things in there. Every employee needs to be threatened to be fired once a month. You talk about influence. You know, I've seen the Harlem Globetrotters three times, and I know leadership. Ride a wild animal into the office. Hmm? Pick one, it doesn't matter. I rode an ostrich in a blockbuster, rode it through the doors. You talk about influence. You know what's crazy is when we were kids, we took a recess time. Why did we ever stop? How many of you glad that Marty's not teaching today? <laughs> it would be comical, but... Uh... It's what it is. Well, hey, I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It is great to see you today. Can we welcome our Appleton campus, our online campus, our Germantown campuses? Welcome everybody this morning. We're delighted to have you. And if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to get right into this message today. And uh, as we do, um, we're speaking about leadership. And, uh, and I hope that by the end of today's message that you will, uh, this will kind of hook you in a way, uh, that you'll kind of go, uh, okay, man, I, I get why you're going here. I understand this. Because I think that most people, when they hear the word leadership, they're just like, oh, only 3% of Americans or people born in the world uh, you're, are naturally born leaders. 97% of people are not naturally born leaders which tells me that there's about 3% of you in this room that are probably pretty geeked out about this subject and are going, man, this is great. I, I'm ready to download this. I want to take this stuff down. This is going to be awesome. And about 97% of you are going, can you just get through the material, please, and uh, land the plane? And the reality is, is that um, although that statistic is true, I, I do think that every one of us has leadership ability in us and that God's given us that ability. When you look at the study of leadership and you read books about leadership, there are multiple definitions. And we could sit here all day and, and capitulate back and forth on what definition is right or correct or whatever. But for the sake of this series, this three-week series, I just want to kind of give you a one-word definition that I completely agree with. And that is, I think, at its most simplest form, leadership is influence. That leadership simply is influence. There are a lot of people that think they are leading, but nobody's following. There are people that think that they have, that demand, that sit at a desk, and they demand that people uh, follow them, and, and they demand respect. And, and I'm just telling you, if you have to demand that, you are not leading. If you have to tell someone that you're a leader, you're not the leader. Leadership is not defined by title. Leadership is not defined by money. Leadership is not defined by a position. Leadership is not defined by age. Leadership is simply defined by influence. We see it. You, you saw it when you're in the third grade. You're on the playground, and there's recess, and, and somebody has a, one of those red balls that you're going to play kickball with. And, and the kid that goes, okay, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be captain number one. You're going to be captain number two. Everybody's going to line up. You're going to pick first. Let's start. The guy or the gal who is the one implementing that type of decision, they're the influencer. Whether they're pick first, whether they pick last, whether they're the influencer. 
As we grow up, we realize that life is not just lined up with school or with high school and that that high school is not reality. For those of you that are really doing awesome in high school, sorry, hope you enjoy it. But once you graduate, it's over. And so, seriously, and then you go back your fall of your freshman year of college and you realize that the first high school football game or basketball game that you go back to at your local high school that, wow, all these punks are now running the school that were just these little pipsqueaks below you and they're, and you're who now? Oh, you're the has-been. And so the reality is, is that life moves on very quickly, doesn't it? And we get out into life and we realize that leadership takes on a whole nother dimension, that leadership is not just defined by what we see in high school, but leadership is defined by really, it's the influence in your various area or, or, or spectrum of, of, of uh, education or, or career or choices or, or all of these things that come into play. So, why are you talking about this, Aaron? Because I believe that everyone is a leader. And I'm not saying that to make you feel good about yourself. I think you know me well enough by now. If it's not true, I'm just not going to say it. I, I, I really believe everyone is a leader. I believe everyone has leadership ability. Now, I understand that if on a scale of 1 to 10, 0 being 0, 10 being you have a top level of leadership, that if you're a 2, you're probably not going to be able to get to a 7, right? It's just that's five steps. That's five different degrees. That's probably a little bit beyond. But everybody, if you're a 2, you can get to a 4. And if you're a 4, you can get to a 6. And if you're a 6, you can grow to an 8. Everybody has leadership ability. Because here's what we know. We're told, and I, and I completely agree with this, that there'll be at least seven people in your lifetime. The worst leader in the world, the most uninfluential person on the planet, will have at least seven people that will look at that person and say, I want to be just like you. So even if you're sorry, <laughs> even if like you're no count, as my dad would say, you, there's seven people that are going to look at you and say, there's something about you that I want to be like. There's something about you that I admire. To the degree that you have leadership ability and to the, to the degree directly related to the, to the amount of leadership ability that you have is directly related to the amount of influence that you have. Thus, that number go, may go, may be multiplied by seven or by 10 or by 20 or by 100 or by 1,000 or by 10,000. The reality is, is that every one of us influence other people. And in our influence, we are leading. And I think sometimes we don't think of it in those terms. And I'm not trying to downgrade the terms. I really simply believe this, that I'm one of those 3% of people that I, everything about leadership, I love. I voraciously read journals, books, I think I've read 15, 16 books already this year, most of which, about half of those are on leadership. Uh, I'm just, I'm a voracious reader because I'm trying to process through information to learn and to grow and to expand. And, and so this is something I get geeked out about. So, but I'm simply telling you that every one of you in this room and every one of you that are at the Appleton campus, every one of you that are online, you have a sphere of influence. Thus, you are a leader. And, and, and the question is, how are you leading? How are you influencing? What are you doing with that God-given gift, maybe that you have of leadership, or that God-given sphere of influence? Even if you're a two on leadership, there's still people that are one and that are zero that are following you, right? And, and so the reality is, is where, what are you doing with that? Because every one of us will lead two different people in our lifetimes. We'll lead, first of all, ourselves. I'm going to talk about that next weekend. Self-leadership is the hardest, most difficult, most arduous style of leadership on the planet. 
I don't care whether you're a Fortune 500 executive, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether your net worth is, 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 is 10 digits. At the end of the day, self-leadership is the most difficult because it's easy to tell everybody else what to do, but it's very difficult to follow your own preaching. Trust me, I do it week in and week out. Not follow it, but try to, right? You understand? So the other thing is you're going to lead others. There are other people that are following you. And we're going to talk about that in our, in our last weekend on this three-week series. And so 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is beginning to speak to Timothy about leadership. Now, here's what you need to understand the backstory before we get into verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul is like a triple-A personality leader. Paul is, he's an academic All-American. Uh, let's just put him in the context of, of today's society. Paul would have been like a scholarship athlete. He would have been, he would have gone to a division one school. He would have started in the area of, of, of whatever his sport would have been. Um, uh, probably he was pretty full contact. Let's just say he was a football player. I mean, he just, everything was kind of like smash mouth with him. There was one speed and it was like, like, like it was warp speed. Uh, he was a straight A student. Uh, the, you know, he 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 followed the letter to the law. He was not just that, but he was also like this great Christian. Uh, not really a Christian, but he followed the, the law of the Old Testament. He was a and a Jew, and, and so he was a, the Bible says that Paul defines himself as a Hebrew of the Hebrews, which means he kept everything of the law. He followed the law to its fullest extent. He was part of the religious establishment. He was up and coming. He, he was good looking. He, he, he had it all together. And he has this experience on the road to Damascus with God where he encounters and has a personal revelation of who Jesus is, and he surrenders his life to Christ and for three years, he kind of goes into this mentoring period of his life. And, and then he emerges as this, as this person who God will use to write most of the New Testament. He will write most of the Bible, quite frankly, as far as number of pages and volume. Paul will follow Christ at a cost that it will cost him his life. He will unashamedly and unabashedly follow Christ. At one point, Paul is quoted to say, look, man, if you want to take me out, take me out. To be absent in the body, which means to be dead, is to be present with the fathers, to be in heaven. And if I'm here, I'm going to convert as many people as I can. And if I go, I've finished my race. I've ran my course. So, you know, in the words of MC Hammer, you can't touch this. I mean, there's just nothing you can do. This is, there's no downside to this. Paul, Paul was full speed, high octane, high capacity. Very few people could keep up with him. Barnabas, who we talked about last week, who was this gracious, the, they called him the son of encouragement. He and Paul go head to head because Paul goes no over John Mark. He says he's not worthy to be part of the mission. He's not worthy to follow me. He, he, he can't keep up. He doesn't, have enough, he doesn't have enough in the tank to get there. And Paul basically fires him. Barnabas says, I think you're wrong, Paul. Paul. Paul says to Barnabas, you can go on with your bad self, Barnabas. You can have your own opinion. But I'm just telling you, I'm going to change the world, and you just take care of baby John Mark. That's how the story goes. Paul had, you want to talk about mincing no words? Most of the Bible that we have, what we're going to read today, he's in a Roman dungeon, which is an open sewer system, if you would, being jailed and caged, awaiting trial before the Roman government because he was a Roman citizen. And 
awaiting trial that will ultimately cost him his own life. I'm talking about a leader's leader. You ever been in a room where someone's presidential that's walked in? You don't have to like play a song. You don't have to have an announcement. You just go, man, that person, you just like, wow. You ever been around great people? I mean, it's just like all the attention, all, everything goes to them. I, I was at an NCAA basketball tournament a couple years ago, and Albert Pulholtz and Tony LaRussa come and sit right in front of me. And I thought the people ESPN was taking pictures of me, so I'm posing. <laughs> it's not. It's those guys right in front of me. And um, it's just like nobody had to say anything. There's a full basketball game going on. Sweet 16 is happening, and all of a sudden these guys walk in and all the attention go. Why? Because he's one of the, whether you like St. Louis or not, he's one of the greatest baseball players that's played the game. Influence. That's Paul. He walks into a room and every head turns. He walks into an audience and everything, it's the way it happens. Timothy, total opposite. Oh, my goodness. Paul tells Timothy at at one point in time because he has such anxiety, I mean, probably full-blown panic attacks. I don't want to do this. I'm not good enough for this. Then he just says, look, just take something for your stomach's sake. Basically, just swallow some Pepto-Bismol, throw up if you need to before you go out to preach, but I need you to do this. Timothy will lead arguably the largest church in the first century, the church in Ephesus, which scholars and academics tell us probably was around 100,000 people in membership. We don't have a church in North America that runs 100,000. Today, a church in Oklahoma City runs 66,000. That's the largest church, evangelical or Protestant, we have in North America. On Easter Sunday morning, we've yet to have a church documented that's ran 100,000 on Easter Sunday. They're working on it. There's three churches right now that are doing everything they can to make that happen. Timothy, this this young man who's not type A, who, who, who doesn't view himself as in the capacity of Paul, who quite frankly doesn't really have a dominant father figure in his history. He, he basically has been led to the Lord by his mother Lois and his grandmother Eunice. And that's his spiritual heritage has come from the women in his family. Paul says, I see in you greatness, Timothy. I see in you a leader. You are an influencer and I'm gonna put you over the greatest largest church that we have. Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. Paul says, you then my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You then my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Paul starts this, 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 this chapter 2 as he's going to give him several basically word pictures of what it means to be a leader. Several different reminders of what it's going to take for Timothy to lead. That These are things for us to be able to learn and glean from as we look at the leadership in our own life. Paul says, first of all, you're my son. Why is that important? Because every young man needs to hear the voice of another man in his life to affirm him. Isaiah says in the last days that the hearts of the fathers will be turned back to the children. Why does it not say the hearts of the mothers? Because every mother is with every son and daughter. But not every, every father's heart is with their children. And there's something, men, when you look at your children and you affirm them. You look at your daughters and you say, you're beautiful and I love you. And you are complete and perfect. And you need no young man to complete you. Amen. Every young man needs to hear his dad look at him 
and say, you are my son. Your name is on the, my name is on the back of your jersey. I am proud of you. Wherever you go, whatever you do. And I want you to be strong. I want you to have courage. I want you to do great things. Why? Because there's the grace of Christ, not you, son, but the grace of Jesus Christ that's in you. The power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And don't forget that it's not your gifting, it's not your ability, it's not your intuition, it's not your skill set, it's not your ecumen. God doesn't need you to be perfect. He already has that, that's already been met. His name is Jesus, he's our savior, we don't need any help, right? So what's he saying to Timothy? Timothy, go. Man, run this race. With reckless abandonment, follow Christ. Don't, don't look back. You're my son. Don't, don't look to the left or the right. Don't look for affirmation anywhere else. The grace of Jesus Christ is in you, which means you don't have to be perfect, Timothy. Jesus has already made that perfect. And if you fall, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Keep running the race. If you mess up, that's okay. He's perfect. You don't have to be perfect. Just keep going. But run, son. Go, son. Hit him low and hit him hard. You got it? I mean, this is like a, a pep talk. This is like a, a, a we're going to go fight win. And then we're going to take the field of conquest. And there's something in every man that needs to hear that. Even if you're like Timothy, who you feel a bit weak in the knees, you feel a, little, a bit panicky, you feel a little bit palms are sweaty, you don't know if you're up for this, but Paul says to you that you are, and so you lean to him. But it's the grace of Christ that's in you. And I'm just telling you, whether you feel like you're a leader today or not, the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. So you are more than a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. When Pacquiao beats and wins the fight in Vegas in a couple of weeks, his wife will be more than a conqueror because he conquered the fight, but she's going to get the paycheck. Do you understand what I'm saying? More than a conqueror. That's what you are in Christ Jesus. That the law of sin and death is passed. We live in grace. Grace that I cannot attain, grace that I cannot understand, grace that's beyond me. That's amazing grace that it fills me. Why? It releases me to run. It releases me to fight. It releases me to pursue the passions that God has put in my heart. And if I mess up, he's my perfection. If I fail, he's my perfection. If I get off a little bit, he's my perfection. And he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Be strong in the graces in Christ Jesus. You just read that and go on. That's what he's saying. God sees something in you that you don't see, and that something is leadership and influence. And over the course of that passage, he gives these word pictures to Timothy of what it means to be a leader. I just want to give these to you very quickly. I'm going to give you the, the, basically what it is. I'm going to give you the, the reference, and then there's a question for you to ask yourself. First, he gives the picture of a leader as a mentor. A mentor. Someone that's reproducing life in somebody else. Verse 2, and these things, Paul says, that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Timothy, man, you're a river, not a reservoir. What I've imparted into you, don't just keep it, pass it on. The question is, who am I influencing? Who am I influencing? 
Who are you discipling? Who are you coaching? Who are you speaking into? Maybe it's your children. But man, I'm 13 years old and I'm in seventh grade. Well, who are you influencing? Who are you opening God's word with? And I was in the seventh grade at Kimmins Junior High in Fort Smith, Arkansas. We had a little fight song. And uh, I'm a Kimmins Raider and I'd like to get to know you. Right on, right on. Hey, Aaron, yeah, introduce yourself. We had to do that at Pepper Alley. Anyhow, so, so when I was Aaron at Kimmins Junior High in the seventh grade, my big four foot ten self that I thought I was so pretty with my, with my OP t-shirts and my uh, Pacific Coastal Highway pants and my vans that were checkerboard, don't hate me because you ain't me. I'm telling you, I was country before country was cool. And I had my big BMX freestyle bicycle. It was a Schwinn 4130 Chromali, Dicompi brakes. I can go on this Shimano three-piece crank system with Skyway Tough Wheel 2s. I'm just, I, I was it, man. I was. Thank you, George Ann. <laughs> but I have friends that weren't following Christ. Who am I influencing? I had a youth pastor, Kevin Cox, say, you're responsible for those people. Probably put more responsibility on me. Probably guilted me to really be honest with you because that's the way it was back then. So we started what we call Partners for Christ, 7, 15, every Monday morning. I saw 85 kids that I played ball with and went to school with give their life to Christ. Because... The many witnesses and trusted reliable people also be qualified to teach others. Timothy, you can do this. I had a Paul in my life that was telling me, Aaron, you can do this. You have a responsibility, not just to look cool. I did that really well. But you had a responsibility to lead other people to Christ. I was in seventh grade. I was 13. It doesn't matter whether you're 13, you're 35, you're 45. I've met executives one executive, Mr. Connolly, who worked for Burlington a Railroad Company, led 300 people to Christ. $3,000 suits, $100 haircut. I mean, an executive, executive. But his passion, he looked at me and said, Aaron, I'm called to reach people for Christ. So I'm going to leverage everything that I can to reach people for Christ. But I'm not a leader. Yes, you are. You are an influencer. And the people that God's given you influence over, what are you doing with that influence? Paul says to Timothy, reproduce life into these people. Mentor these people. Jesus said, I didn't call you to go catch fish. I called you to be catchers or fishers of men. What does that mean? You're to live your life in such a way that it becomes enticing to other people that they see the goodness and the grace of Jesus in you and they follow Jesus. And folks, that's not automatic, that's intentional. If you don't believe that, go ask any fisherman. You don't just go out anywhere and throw a line in the water. If you want to catch fish, you got to go where they are, when they're biting, and you've got to be serving up on the bait line what they want to eat. Paul says to Timothy, be a soldier. It's the next one. Be a soldier. 
You have to live a life that's focused. If you're going to be a leader, you have to be focused. That means everything I say yes to one thing, I'm saying no to something else. And when I say no to this, it's because I'm saying yes to this because I cannot say yes to everything. Verse 3, join with me in suffering, Paul says to Timothy, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. It's going to cost you something, Timothy. It's going to hurt sometime, Timothy. It's not going to be popular sometime, Timothy. You may have some Friday nights at home, Timothy. Because you cannot run with everybody who runs on Friday night and serve God on Sunday morning. Woo, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. And that works whether you're 16 or, or, or you're 36. You have got choices to make. You have a focused life in which to live. If you are a soldier, you are under authority, which means your life is not your own. You're on a mission, and that mission comes from God, and you serve that mission out well. So what's my mission? If I'm a leader, what's my mission? You, live in, you work in an organization, a business, there's a corporate mission. You work for a not-for-profit or for an NGO, there is a mission. There's a mission statement at your high school. You probably have never looked at it because you don't care because she's walking by. I get that. But every organization... Every not-for-profit, every for-profit in its incorporating documents has to have a mission, a reason for being. What's your reason for being? What gets you up in the morning and puts you to bed at night? Well, I don't know. That's great. How many people are you influencing that way? Well, I just think you're being a little dramatic. No! You're consuming oxygen and giving off carbon dioxide. You're living on this planet. You have a responsibility. Paul says to Timothy, man, what's your mission? Be like a good soldier. Suffer through it. How do you, how, why is that so important? Because if I know why I'm dying, <laughs> I love Martin Luther King Jr. said, if a man does not know for which he is willing to die, he never knows what he will truly live for. You never know what you're truly going to live for unless you really know what you're willing to die for. Hopefully, you never have to be put in that situation. But if you were, it brings mission down to very simple clarity. What are you doing with your life? And I hope to God it's not just trading days for dollars. Or you're living for the weekend. Woo, it's quiet up in here. It better be more than just for the almighty dollar. It better be more than just for getting to vacation. It better be more than just trying to, to get to the next football season or the, to the next basketball season. It, it better be more than just trying to, to get a date on Friday night or, or to try to get married or, or just to try to have kids. So what? What's your mission? You're a leader. The next, the next picture that he gives us is found in verse 5. It's that of an athlete. It's an athlete. He's talking about discipline in life. Paul says, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Again, we talked a little bit about Paul. Paul liked competition. And this is funny to me because people, they fold like a cheap suit when they come to church and come to Jesus. Well, we're just going to be nice. We're just going to calm down. Who said? Have you read the New Testament lately? 
Paul says, man, I'm running this race, not just to participate. All you millennials, listen to me. You don't just get a blue ribbon in life. Woo, it's quiet up in here. Yeah, yeah, well, everybody wins. No, they don't. They're winners and losers. Welcome to the American way. I don't know when it became wrong to acquire wealth and to be successful in this land, but I'm telling you, somebody's going to wake up one day and they're going to go, hey, I can have that. And hey, I can do that and move over, Bacon. Here comes something leaner. But I'm telling you, this mindset that we have in our world, we're in competition and we better wake up. I'm not running for political office and this has not been endorsed by Life Church, right? You understand? I, I, I'm just telling you, Paul says we've got to compete. We've got to run this race. We've got to fight this fight. We've got to go at this as someone who is competing. What am I competing against? Sometimes it's me. Self-leadership is the most difficult form of leadership. Sometimes it's against the enemy himself. But I'm not competing against you. Why? Because Ephesians 6 says I don't compete against flesh and blood. But this fight is against the supernatural, which is his fight. But I just don't get to sit back in a lazy chair with a bag of Funyuns and a Diet Coke and watch it happen. I have to be engaged in the battle. An athlete, what's my goal? Why am I doing this? Why are you following Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? If you're a student today and your mom and dad brought you to church, in the car on the way home, go, why are we going to church? Ask them that question. And all the parents are like, man, Really? No, ask them that question. Why are we going to church? Why do we follow Jesus? Why are we doing this? Why do we get up? What are we doing here? Have you ever thought about that? I, I, I love what Jim Collins says, the, 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 the great business author who wrote Good to Great and some other great works. He said at, at, at a national leadership conference with Christians in which he was invited to be a keynote speaker, he goes, you people believe you have the answer to the world's problem. Yet you don't live like it. Why? It's a great question. What's your goal? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? He goes on to give another illustration, the life of a farmer. I love this because anybody can, you, you can identify with at least one of these things. He just keeps, the hits just keep coming. A farmer, he's talking about having a life that is fruitful, a life that's meaningful. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive, receive a share of the crops. Why? Because he's working the field. Do you understand that fruitfulness in the life of a Christ follower is not automatic? It's something that has to be cultivated? Well, now, there's a thing called the fruit of the Spirit, and that just kind of comes automatically. Really? Have you tried to live that lately? Long-suffering, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, love, joy, peace. Let's just try self-control. That's just natural and automatic. You need to be preaching this instead of me. Trying to live that stuff out is like a Tupperware dish, right? You got about three corners down, you're burping the fourth one, and all of a sudden another one pops up. This is tough stuff. By the time you think, man, you love everybody, somebody comes across your path you don't like. And they just cut you off in traffic. They take your parking spot at the mall. They say something stupid. God can fix a lot of things, but he can't fix stupid, right? You know what I'm saying? 
I'm joking, but, but I'm being honest in the fact that fruitfulness in my life is not just automatic. It's something I have to cultivate. And the Bible says that I don't ever get the right to judge somebody else as far as their motives, but I can inspect the fruit of their life. It's the fruit of the tree of your life that people are inspecting. The question for you to ask yourself, what am I producing? What am I producing? Yeah, the Holy Spirit's in me at salvation. Yes, the Spirit of God, Ephesians, says that he, he seals the work of salvation in my life, but producing a harvest of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit of God, is not just a byproduct of just floating down a lazy river. It's running the race. It's fighting the fight. It's being the good soldier. It's being the athlete. It's being the competitor. Next is a laborer, a worker. He's talking about skill and life. You know the difference between a butcher and a surgeon? Education. Real simple. A lot of zeros behind that education, but education. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, do your best, Paul says, to present yourself to God as one approved, a working, work, worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. The question here is, what am I doing to develop myself? How are you growing? Do you have a growth plan for your life? If we're going to lead, we've got to educate, to grow ourselves. Not necessarily formally, but we have to be on a plan where I'm reading God's word, I'm spending time in prayer, I'm being around other people that are going to help me grow in my faith and help me grow in my walk with God. I, I'm going to develop myself. And whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. Work predates the fall of man. Before sin entered the world, God gave Adam a job, a vocation. Listen to me, good work, hard work doesn't kill anybody. Amen. I, I, I think more kids need to have after school jobs and have to work through college. Amen. Parents, I'm telling you, I am setting you up like a T on the first green because I'm going to play golf this afternoon because it's going to be so beautiful. I'm just telling you, hard work doesn't hurt anybody. No work. The Bible says that no work destroys a nation. Amen. What does your hand find to do? Do it as unto the Lord and skill yourself and develop yourself and grow yourself. And you're not just trying to get to a particular summit. You want to go as far as you can. You want to reach as far as you can. You want to reach as many people as you can. You want to use the leadership that God's given you to grow and to develop, to accomplish as much as you can. And the last word picture, we're running out of time, this will give you this, is servant. It's the picture of a servant. It's a person whose life is focused on other people, who's willing to serve. Verse 23 and 24, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, <coughs> excuse me, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Serving. Serving. 
Just ask the question of where is my service? Where are you serving? Where are you serving? Now, I'm not talking about what you're paid to do. You may be doing things at your job that you're not paid to do. That's serving. Uh, I'm not talking about what, I'm talking about just serving, just being willing to serve. And sometimes you're going to do things that you don't like to do. Sometimes you're going to do things that probably you shouldn't need to do, but it's just part of serving. I'm the pastor of this church, but I also lead the organization. There's about 30 employees that are here. There are times I ask for jobs to be done, and they're not done. So I can gripe about it. I can get mad about it. I can fire everybody in the organization. Trust me, those thoughts come across my mind just like they would you if you're running a business or an organization. But sometimes I just have to serve. It's really funny. I preached this message, and last night I went to inspect something that I had asked to be done. All the sidewalks to be swept. Very simple. I have a philosophy in life that we should be people of excellence. And that when you come to Life Church, you have brought the tithe and you've honored God with your time. And we as a staff should be here to serve you. If great preaching were to change this world, we'd already be one to Christ by now. If great singing were to change this world, we'd already be saved by now. No, we've got to work. So I teach the staff and all the LLC students that clean toilets, clean bathrooms, swept floors, well-kept closets, a grounds that speaks of excellence that honors Jesus. Because it's a stewardship issue, because God's given us this, thus we need to steward it. It's the same talk my dad gave to me when I got to drive the family car. This is a stewardship issue. How you clean this vehicle will make room for you and how you receive another vehicle. How you take care of this will let me know whether you can handle the next level up. So last night after service, I have a philosophy of leadership that says I inspect what I expect. It's Old Testament uh, Moses. So I went to look at sidewalks that I had asked to be swept and they were not swept and they were not clean. So for an hour and 15, hour and a half last night, I got a broom and the clothes that I preached in, I swept sidewalks. I don't need a medal or a chest to pin it on. I'm just telling you it's somewhat comical when you preach a message then you have to live it that quickly. Usually it's by Tuesday that I have to live it. But the bottom line is, do I like sweeping sidewalks? No. Am I willing to do it? Yes. Why? Because I'm here to serve you. And you don't deserve to come to a church that's not well kept when you're honoring God with your time. And we as a staff, myself being the beginning, are going to serve you because that's what God expects of us. That's what I'm preaching on a platform. Thus, I must live it when nobody else is looking. I know some of you go, oh, you shouldn't have said that because great won't be your reward in heaven because you told us what you did. Well, I'm just telling you, so there it goes. <laughs> Leadership is influence. And everybody influences somebody. And you can talk all day long, but what you do is what counts. How you serve each other is what counts. How you influence your world is what counts. And you may go, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, is you've been given a measure of leadership, some greater than others, I understand. But what are you doing with that? Whom are you influencing? April 4th and 5th will be Easter weekend. And in your, basically in the worship guide that you received when you came in the door, there's a small card. It looks just like this. 
She says Easter 2015, and it's got April 4 and 5 on the back, and it's just a simple way for you to invite somebody. Invite someone that you're influencing. When polled, most Americans asked, were asked, when is Easter? What's the date? And the most common response was April 1. It's not Easter. That's April Fool's Day. Everybody knows that. But it's because Easter kind of floats around. Sometimes it's in March. Sometimes it's in April. And so people forget. But here's what we do know is that most people will come to church on Easter if they're invited, especially in North America. Again, who are you influencing and what are you doing with that influence? It was 15 years ago this week that my wife and I were youth pastors in Tulsa, Oklahoma, running a youth group of several hundred kids. And we would do these outreach nights. And it'd be on a Wednesday night, and there'd be a large night, and we'd have kids, 700, 800 kids show up. And sometimes we'd have to do two services because we wouldn't have enough room in the gym. Then we had to go off-site to, to different high school gyms and auditoriums in the community. And this one particular night, we, we did this. And this was all about outreach. This was all about kids inviting other friends and coming. And so we called those, those ones in the spring, we call them barf nights, bring a real friend. I know it's gross, but it worked, especially with junior hires. If you're a junior hire, I love junior hires. I, I just, I love their energy, and they actually think you can kill them when you yell at them on a church van. High school kids are like, whatever, I'm going to knock you in the next week. So we were youth pastoring. We had this night, and, and it was a fun night. We were doing cover tunes. We were doing all kinds of giveaways. I think we had Taco Bell, Pizza Hut. I mean, you could just, like, go where you wanted to go, and all these vendors were there, and the food was free, and everything was happening. And, and I'm preaching, and as I'm preaching, I, I see this, this girl, and she's just scowling at me a little bit. And so I'm the kind of person that if you do that to me, I'm just going to come at you. Like, I, this is fun to me because I don't want – I mean, I like the people who are like, yeah. So great. And I love those of you that do that to me. But sometimes I see people and they're just hot. There, there was a guy too last week. He was over here. It was on Saturday night service. He was slumped in his seat. He was mad. I did everything I could to get to him at the end of the service. Hey, how are you? I'm Aaron Cole. It's nice to meet you. Are you doing okay? Not that I'm trying to pick a fight. Not that I'm trying to make anybody mad. But, but I learned a long time ago. We used to do this thing called street witnessing where kids would cruise. Anybody else cruise? You know I'm talking about 68 Camaro Supersport. Take me back. So anyhow, and so we would go, and you would find all the kids hanging out. And so you didn't go to the to, to the little nerdy guy sitting on the side. You went to the biggest guy in the group that everybody knew was a leader. Because if you could pick him off, not in a fight, I wasn't fighting people. It's in a fight club. But if you if you could win him to Christ, lead him to Christ, you could engage him in a conversation. You could turn everybody in that group. And so anyhow, so I'm watching this girl and she's got this scowl and she's mad at me. She's a beautiful young lady. And, but she's just like, and she's there with her little friends. They're all like 16. Everything's all great in their world. Princess problems. And I mean, it's just that kind of stuff. And, and so I give the altar call. She doesn't respond. There's probably 80 kids, 100 kids that respond to the altar call. It was great, man. And going out and afterwards, I go make a beeline for her. And she's like, I got a problem with you. And she goes postal on me. I mean, just goes off. It gets quiet around me. And here she is. And she's snapping. And she's doing this. And how dare you tell me that Jesus is the only way? How narrow-minded do you think you are? And I mean, she's just blah, 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 blah. And she's with her gaggle of friends. And they all get off in her brand-new Mustang GT that her daddy bought for her because he was some executive in Tulsa and gets in there. And she drives off. All right. Let me have a piece of pizza, please. I mean, I'm not going to lose any weight or sleep over anything, right? <laughs> Three weeks later, it's Easter Sunday morning. 
we were between worship pastors, so I'm leading worship. There are thousands of people. And I see her. Pastor Goldsmith does a message, and man, he preaches it good and brings it hot and fresh. And, and people are coming to, he's getting ready to do the altar call, and I slip up onto the platform right over by the piano player. And, and, and the piano player's playing. I'm getting ready to sing. Is you know, it's a little Billy Graham, George Beverly Shea moment. You know what I'm talking about? I'm getting better to do just as I am, and he's bringing in the clothes, and it's going to be happening. And I see her sobbing and walking down to the front. And she gives her life to Christ. 15 Easter's ago. After service, I get down, I turn over to a background singer and I walk down and I get Tammy and we go over and we pray with her. What's the story? She said, I'm sorry about what I said. I said That's fine, no big deal. I don't care. Tell me your story. She goes, well, uh, Linda, it's not her name, but another lady, Linda. Lives five houses down from me. Soccer mom, ten of the church. He's been reaching out to me relationally, and we've just kind of connected. I've done a little bit of babysitting, and I'm from a Muslim family. This is Tulsa, Oklahoma, the buckle of the Bible Belt. I'm the only girl. My father basically is letting me live a very American lifestyle at this point but believes in arranged marriage and everything's basically kind of going to be planned out in a few years. So I have a new car and I've got credit cards and I've got everything that I want and clothes and everything. My dad is not really around, but he gives me whatever I want. Very affluent family. And Linda lives a few houses down. And we've been talking. And she invited me to the service a few weeks ago. And in inviting me, uh, that was the first time I heard somebody just straightforward give a gospel presentation. And it hit my heart, but I knew what it was going to mean to me. And you kind of backed me into a corner that it was going to cost me, but I can't get away from it. And today I just couldn't run from it any longer. You see, Pastor Aaron, I, I've had visions and seen Christ, and I've had no gospel witness except for Linda. And I saw something in her, and so I came. And even though I didn't like you and didn't like what you said, there was truth that you presented in a very straightforward fashion that was honest and sincere. And today, as Pastor gave the invitation, I had to give my life to Christ. And here's the hard part. When I leave today, my father, when he found out that I even went to a Christian church, went loco. My car keys, my platinum card, I mean, I'm not exaggerating any of this story. My clothes, my lifestyle, my existence will be gone. My father straight up told me that if I came home a Christian, he would disown me, and I had nowhere to live. 16-year-old girl, beautiful girl. And today, that's what I'm going home to. So when I walked that aisle, I gave up everything. Linda says that I can live with her and graduate high school. And that's exactly what happened. 
junior in high school. She graduated. Today, she lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She's married to a great young man. She's got three children, all serving in the church. Picture, postcard, family. She's seen one of her brothers come to faith in Christ, and she's believing that one day she'll be able to lead her dad to Jesus. But I'm telling you, the reason why she got saved wasn't because of some youth pastor who ran hundreds of kids in the youth ministry. It wasn't because of a church. It wasn't because of a great Easter presentation. It wasn't because of my great worship leading that day or Pastor Goldsmith's great preaching. It was because of a lady named Linda who lived a couple of houses down who used her influence and leadership to reach out to a young 16-year-old Muslim girl who had no hope and had no life until she met Jesus. Linda was a leader. Oh, you may never see her on the cover of a magazine. She'll never run a Fortune 500 company. She doesn't have a college degree, but she as a soccer mom who saw a young lady down the street that was hopeless, needing help, began to pray and develop a relationship because she understood that she was a leader. And Life Church, you are a leader. What you do counts. That's leadership. Leadership is influence. How are you spending your influence?